This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful morning, Monday morning edition of the show. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Stephen Gillespie. And back with us on this episode, we have Maxwell Baumbach jumping into the NBA lottery team previews ahead of the 2023 NBA draft. Maxwell, I'll start with you. Mm-hmm. How are you doing tonight, my man? Are you excited to, to finally great. get some thoughts and input on, on what these lottery teams should be doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. I think we've got two interesting teams that I think kind of had the opposite of what their expectations were coming into the season take place. And they're both at just a very, very interesting juncture as a franchise. And there's a lot of different ways they can go with it. I'm kind of excited to see what you guys think. Um, Cause I, I'm pretty firm on where I'm at with these teams. So it should be, should be a fun one here. Steven, you ready to rock and roll today, brother? Yeah. I'm kind of ready to get this over with because I'm ready to see all the prospects that declare (laughs) um for the for the draft while we're recording this because they've decided to wait until our podcast to make their intentions known so so for for everyone listening to this podcast we are recording this on sunday night the night before monday as we usually do which means that we still have a few hours left as the time of this recording for players to ultimately enter in as early entrance to the 2023 draft like steven just alluded to by my count i have 236 players right now that I'm keeping track of in a database that includes players who are early entrants that includes some prospects who are auto eligible, but that is quite the hefty list of names that hopefully we can add a few more in there. I believe at the time of this pod, we still have a a few international guys like Nikola Durasic, Fedor Zugic, like some of those guys haven't declared yet. We still have some domestic prospects like a like a Ryan Kalkbrenner, for example, who hasn't. So there are still some interesting names on the board. Hopefully we'll get a decision on them one way or the other, and then we will be off to the races in the NBA right. draft space. But nevertheless, that's not the entire focus of our show tonight. What we're doing on this episode is we are continuing our 2023 NBA draft lottery team preview. So what does that mean? So each week, until we get through all the teams who are drafting the lottery, we're picking two clubs, right, to go over each episode. We're breaking down where they're at currently, what were expectations relative to the season, where do they ultimately end up. We're looking at the rosters, any sort of pending free agent callouts that we need to make before we get into the exercise. And then we really want to identify their specific team needs and where we feel like they could go with each of their selections in the 2023 NBA draft. So we are not just focusing on their lottery picks. This is draft deeper. We want to get a little bit into the exercise here, have some fun with it. So every single pick. So for one of our teams tonight, the Oklahoma City Thunder, for example, they are on the board projected to have the 12th overall pick, but they also own picks 35 and 37. The Toronto Raptors, on the other hand, they only have one pick in this draft. 
they're sitting at the 13th spot currently in terms of projected draft slots. So that is where we are going to start. But four draft picks is ultimately what we're going to be talking about tonight with each pick at a different spot. A variety of players are still going to come into this discussion despite us looking at picks 12 and 13 and 35 and 37. You'd think two picks apart, we might not be bringing too many different names to the table. Well, I also know how much homework Stephen and Max will do before this podcast. So I'm sure we're going to have some differing opinions, but we will start with the Toronto Raptors who finished 41 and 41 in the Eastern Conference. They own zero second round picks, like I mentioned. So this is exclusively a first round exercise. In terms of looking at where they finish, some statistical projections, some really interesting numbers I want to call out. So 13th in adjusted net rating overall, 25th in pace. So mm. we we kind of factor into, well, they have somebody like a Scotty Barnes who wants to play in transition, can bring the ball up the floor, handle it, make, make guys around it better. But yet the majority of these pieces, besides him and Pascal Siakam, still want to operate in a half-court setting. So they play to that style of basketball, which means they, they don't have a high turnover rate, right? They were actually first in the NBA in terms of lowest turnover percentage. But even though they, they brought up the ball, they played within a half-court scheme, they understand where to go with the ball, they didn't really make a lot happen on, on either side of the ball that was noteworthy to call out, right? So they, they finished the ball at the rim, but they were 28th in the NBA in mid-range field goal percentage, 28th in the NBA in three-point percentage, and 26th in assist percentage. So that means, to me, they're walking the ball up the floor, right? They're, they're kicking it around a few different times, but ultimately they're letting it sit in the half court. Somebody tries to dance with the ball, make something happen with it, and they're either going to live with that result in terms of a made field goal or they're going to die by that result. they got to go down the court, try and stop somebody on the other end to sort of get back that possession they just gave up. Except, oh, wait, they weren't that great on defense either. So 29th in opposing effective field goal percentage, 21st in opposing rim field goal percentage, 26th in opposing mid-range field goal percentage, 28th in opposing three-point percentage. Now, they forced a lot of turnovers, but when it came to the other team actually getting a good look and putting that shot up, they they did nothing in the way in terms of stopping anything one-on-one. So it's, it's a little bit of a conundrum, guys, right? Because when you look at some of the pieces on this team, Pascal Siakam, I mentioned Scotty Barnes. You have OG Ananobi, who at once upon a time, just a few months ago, was one of the hottest names on the trade market as this like 3 and D guy everybody wants on their team. So it's really interesting to look at the roster construction and then point to some of the other names around them, like Gary Trent, like a Chris Boucher, Precious Achua. Christian Coloco was a rookie who came in out of Arizona and certainly lived up to some expectations in terms of the advanced numbers and a per-minute production. But then you have some pieces like Fred Van Vliet, Malachi Flynn, you know, the, these guys, Will Barton, they're not going to live up to the defensive side of the ball. They're going to let a lot go in terms of penetration, right? Getting into the paint, getting past that three-point line. They're going to they're gonna let a lot of guys put up shots. And there's only so much that that front line that I mentioned can do. That's why they tried to bring in Jakob Pertl at the trade deadline. But as we usually see, it's very hard to integrate an important piece like that after the trade deadline and expect results to come into play, especially once you get into a play-in scenario. And hopefully, if they would have gotten past that, in, into a playoff scenario. So a lot of different things going on. Steven, I'll start with you. What, what are some of your observations in terms of what you were able to look at with the Toronto Raptors? And, and how are you feeling about where this team is at and, and what they could possibly need moving forward? Well, so... With the dismissal recently 
of um, Coach Nurse, I think that we could admit that Project what Six Nine is what we're referring it to <laughs> as uh, Project Six Nine really is kind of a failure, and it's not a failure just on the concept alone, right? Because I think that you could look at a team that we're going to be talking about here in a little bit. They're drafting these kind of longer players that are capable of doing a lot of things with the ball. Um, and the thing that the Rocket, or excuse me, that the Raptors kind of missed out on is that there's really not a lot of initiation on this team. There's not a lot mm-hmm. of creators on this team. There's no straw to stir the proverbial drink. And that has kind of been their downfall. That's why they struggle in the half court. Meanwhile, you have these dudes that are capable of playing really good defense, but I think just the way that the coaching staff, everything that I've been hearing about the way that the players haven't received uh, Coach Nurse's uh, message anymore, really it it didn't resonate with them anymore. So if they're not getting as much going on the offensive end, why they're going to bust their hump on defense where they're already at a disadvantage on that side of the ball anyway, right? And then you mentioned the addition of Yaka Pertle. That was a huge get for them. But now they have to figure out who they're going to pay between all of these free agents on top of not really having a direction. You know, I thought that they were going to be around the sixth seed in the East this year. Mm-hmm. And obviously, so they fell, yeah, they, they fell significantly below that uh, because of all the things that we've already talked about. So it's just a matter of now they need a voice who they can yep. talk to these players about and they need a direction. You know, do they bring an older guy like Fred Van Vliet back? Do they maybe try to trade a couple of these pieces to rebuild or do they look to retool? It's a pretty interesting fork in the road that they're at right now. Steven brought up a few great points, specifically head coach Nick Nurse now not being with the organization anymore. Unfortunately, we can't solve that one on the podcast today, boys, because nope. we can't we can't draft a coach. But we, we, Ooh, we can, can we do that segment? Could we like who draft who we think the best head coach would be out <laughs> of this draft class? That that might be an interesting Ooh. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That, that might yeah. be an interesting offseason podcast. But nevertheless, Maxwell, Stephen brought up some interesting points about where the roster currently sits, right? So we talked about mm-hmm. the lack of someone who can stir the drink in the half court. You do have an experienced scorer in Fred Van Vliet. You have a guy in Malachi Flynn who I thought always deserved more playing time on that roster. And then you have a guy like Will Barton, who everybody looks at him as like an off ball player. But when you actually put the ball in his hands, let him run some pick and roll, he can do some things within the offensive structure. The problem is, is that when you play those guys, you get back to the other point that Steven made, which is you have players on this roster who can play defense, but unfortunately you're almost always having somebody on the court that can easily be hunted out in certain mismatches by the opposing team. So you're kind of letting something go at the point of attack to try and get something back offensively. So when you try and fix that problem and play some of these other guys and put the ball in Scotty Barnes's hands next to some of these other plus size guys for their position, then you get back to the last point that Steven made, which is there just isn't enough initiation and creation mm-hmm. everywhere else on the roster. So it's re- really funky situation right what what yeah. are some of your other thoughts about the raptors and what what are some of the things you think that we can maybe look at tonight in terms of how could we maybe find a, a puzzle piece to help bring this back in the right direction yeah i think the biggest thing that jumped out to me is just like i don't know that that puzzle piece can come from the draft yes. like i hate to say that mm-hmm. i hate to say yeah. that but the range that they're in like it's very rare to find a guy that is going to fill all the gaps that they need just with one draft pick yeah uh, especially out of the gate um as i dug into the film on them it was just yeah like the lack of of a lead creator was like really tricky because the guys who 
are better with the ball in their hands, aren't rim pressure guys. So it's like your guys who can't shoot don't really collapse the defense. And then your guys that can get downhill can get downhill, but you don't have a lot of shooting around them. It's just mm-hmm, a couple yep. guys. And like, I don't know. I it, Everyone always says like, you can't have enough length. And I think that's true, but I think that there's just a real lack of like playmaking and shooting and, when things aren't clicking, like the the offense gets so stagnant. Like you're there's just a lot of possessions where like it feels like nothing is happening and nobody's getting anywhere. And they need like a couple shot creators. Like I don't think they're one guy away. I think they need a lot more playmaking on the floor. I think they need a lot, a lot more shooting. Um it's yeah, they've they've got a couple problems. And I, I think they they need a lot more creativity in terms of how they're gonna go about fixing this than like drafting one guy. I agree 100%, Maxwell. So here, here's the conundrum that this team is in, right? So we we mentioned, actually, Stephen mentioned that Fred Van Vliet could be out the door, right? He has a player option. Yep. He's likely to decline that, ultimately enter into free agency as an unrestricted free agent. You have Gary Trent Jr. in a very similar position. You have Jakob Pertl, who they're going to attempt to bring back, but we we can't say to the crystal ball and know the future there. Otto Porter Jr. and Thad Young could also be out the door as well. So you're losing a number of interesting offensive pieces in the sense that either they can get their own shot in the way of like a Fred Van Vliet, although it's not the most ideal way in terms of what this team needs, like Maxwell pointed out, or they are losing some of those off ball shooters like a Gary Trent Jr. or an Otto Porter Jr. So you're, you're trying to fill multiple needs essentially with, with one player in the draft. If you're trying to walk away and have that be a direct result to you winning more games next season. Now we know that that's difficult for rookies to come in and do anyways, but What's tricky is that the the top draft needs that I wrote down are they need half court scoring slash playmaking, like we've said, and then they need Mm -hmm. point of attack slash perimeter defense. The problem is that at this range at 13, I don't really see anyone who's necessarily intersecting both of those together at once. Now there's a player like a case in Wallace who maybe one of you guys wrote down. I actually didn't write his name down. I, for some reason, I just think he's going to go before 13, but even if he Mm. slides, I'm also not sure what he's doing for this team offensively in terms of being that guy who can fill a lot of those gaps at that point guard position, right? I'm I'm not sure that there's a point guard in this range that I feel like I'm going to go get to just solve a lot of these problems. So I actually went, I went with two wings, three wings actually. And then I did pick one guard at the end who I do think a lot of the defense come around, but I'm not quite sure the offense is going to get there to where they would want to be in terms of competing for a playoff spot next year. So I'm curious, Maxwell, I will start with you. I want to hear some of the names that you wrote down who might actually be targets at pick 13 for the Raptors. Yeah. So I, I wanted to lead off with a guy that is going to be kind of controversial, but I know he's a guy that we like a lot. And I think that he does in a way, eventually project to to give them some of what they need and that's bryce sensabaugh yep from i wrote State. him down as well yep um ultimately they need like more advanced shot makers um because a lot of the guys they have right now are like very good at shooting three-pointers off the catch or they're very good getting downhill and they're really good around the basket like they've got so many guys with size that can do those things but when it's mid-range and beyond like those aren't the shots you necessarily want a um a scotty barnes taking like if you're looking at him as like this is the unmovable piece of our core this is the young guy that like we see growing into this role putting him next to somebody like a bryce sensabaugh um someone who is more of a like mid-range beyond score makes the most sense to me 
So like Scotty um, Barnes, Scotty's a playmaker and like a defender, like he kind of compensates for some of those deficiencies that Bryce mm. is going to have out of the gate too. Um, but yeah, I think he he could be plug and play as a shooter potentially. And then yeah, if he grows into that role, I think he's kind of a nice fit. So like Scotty Barnes regressed in some of those areas where we thought he was maybe yeah. showing flashes last year, right? The the mid range shooting ultimately didn't come around more for him. The three point shooting didn't come around more for him. And then OGN and Obi, he's one of these catch and shoot three point guys. But to Maxwell's point, like. We we've we thought that OG could develop into something more as a scorer and not just a shooter. And when you put him in that higher volume creation type role, it just doesn't pay out for him in terms of what the Raptors would need. So bringing in somebody like a Bryce Sensball, I I agree with Maxwell one hundred percent. He would give this team another unique dimension offensively to where he's another one of these guys on the wing who can go create his own shot. He's not just relying on someone else to set him up for a look, especially. The fact that if they don't solve that point guard position and have that spot in a better place than it was this year, then having someone like Bryce Sensbaugh to me would, would certainly be a, a luxury on that side of the ball. Were there any other names, Maxwell, that you wanted to, to introduce in terms of fits at pick 13? That was the first guy. I kind of want to go. Can we go around a little bit? And- oh, you want to do around sure. the horn? Yeah. Let's, yeah let's, is that let's, cool? let's go around the horn. Okay. So, Steven, Steven, give, give me a name that you wrote down at pick 13. Well, yeah. So... All my guys are going to be backcourt guys. I didn't go wing That's or fair. forward yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> um, I went Keontae George uh, with the first one. And I'm surprised that you went Bryce Sensabaugh first because uh, according to y'all's board, I thought that he would be gone by pick 13. <laughs> so I don't know hey, why. According to my board, <laughs> it, it, it seems like in, in, in the rest of the world sports, he might still be there. But according That's, to my that's board, exactly why I wrote yeah. him down there as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it just a, another quick tidbit for the listeners who may not be familiar with the whole draft process and haven't rocked with this all throughout the year. Bryce Sensabaugh is like the highest prospect that still is maintaining his eligibility during the draft process, so he might not even be available for real, for real, for the Toronto Raptors, depending on what he wants and the feedback he gets. But I went with Keontae George because I, to a lot of the same things that we've been discussing, they need someone who can create with the ball in their hand, someone who can score, um, someone who is also a capable passer. I think that in his first year as a creator, he showed a lot of really interesting signs um, as an initiator. And I think that he could continue with that in a way that we weren't expecting him to do what he did this year. And he did that. So maybe there's more um, kind of untapped potential in the creation aspect of it, but he's also very comfortable shooting the ball running pick and rolls, uh, needs to improve it getting to the basket. But I think that for what the Raptors need, we already talked about how there's like a multi-path need that they have on their roster. They can address one with this pick. And I Mm -hmm. think Keontae George is kind of like a combo scoring guy who can play on or off the ball and fill a lot of different lineups for this team. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And that's the, the top guy that I have. I can completely understand why you would bring up the Keontae George name for, for what he may not do, right? He, he can be a, a little bit of a ball stopper, just like Bryce Sensabaugh could be in theory, sure. right? He's not necessarily looked at as a high level passer, though. I do think if Keontae George reverts back to more of who he was at the beginning of the Baylor season, like we've talked about on multiple podcasts and it shows that he can make some of those quick decisions on the move. He, he plays the positional defense that, we know he's capable of opponents yeah. shot under 31% against him on the season at Baylor and Mark that I certainly didn't expect to see when I was looking at his defensive numbers on synergy. But nevertheless, you go back and watch the tape. He has a good build for a guard, right? He's strong. He doesn't let others move him out of position. He can get a hand on the ball. So 
for a lot of those reasons, I understand why Steven went with a guy like Keontae George. And when we're talking about guys who can generate offense in the half court in a variety of ways, my guy after Bryce Sensball that I wrote down, how about Jed Howard? Right out of Michigan. Okay. Why, yeah, I like especially it. with the way that Jed Howard's draft stock seems to be falling everywhere outside of no ceilings. He, he's been one of the most bizarre fallers on draft boards yeah. that I think I can point to. And I think a lot of people looked at the second half of the year for Jet, and they're not putting enough stock into the fact that he had dual ankle injuries that really held him back in terms of trying to get downhill a little bit more or, or, or trying to slide his feet, play a little bit better defense on the other side of the ball because first half Jed Howard, I actually didn't think that he was a disaster defensively, right? I, I think on the ball, he can certainly do some stuff. He has, I would say good court awareness, not great court awareness on that end, but I think he has good awareness. And then offensively, he's one of these guys who he can catch and shoot. You can get him shooting off the move. He can play a little bit of pick and roll. He can be a secondary creator for you at six, eight with his body, his frame with the type the type of player that he's going to grow into why wouldn't the Raptors want somebody like, like Jed Howard who could maybe create a little bit of offense for them at plus size while also giving them an option at as someone at that wing position up op, opposite of like an OG Ananobi who can also finish plays when something else is created for him. So that was one of the directions that I went. Steven, you got another name that jumps out at you? Yeah, I'm going to do the unpopular pick here. And I went with Kaysen Wallace as my second option. He was going to be the next guy I brought up. So I don't I don't hate that one bit. And, and the reason being is like, again, we're not trying to fix the Raptors like with one pick. So, right. and you we, can't. and we don't know where they're going to go in free agent wise. So, and to me, if we're unclear of a direction, I'm going to kind of lean towards the direction that we're going to, that a lot of parts are going to be going to be picked and sold off. Right. So to me, case Wallace is like pound for pound. I've been saying it pound for pound, best defensive prospect in this class that kind of fits the Raptors mo- um, motto, even though that he's not six foot nine, he can, uh, he can force a lot of turnovers and that sort yep. of plays into that team's identity, right? Yep. He can play in transition, something that they need, you know, he can play in half court, something that they already do, just not a, a good clip, right. In terms of pace. And he is a good connective passer. There might even be that Kentucky bump where he, there's more into the bag that we're just haven't been privy to seeing because Kentucky again was not uh an ideally structured roster either. So um, seeing the things that he can do on and off the ball, seeing the way that he can play defensively, he's going to be in the NBA for a long, long time and probably going to be a very capable starter at that. I think at 13, that's a good type of player to pick. If you're unclear on a direction, just get on base and see what we can do next in free agency. Maxwell, did you, did you have another name that you wanted to throw out besides Case and Wallace or feel free to add in on the Case and Wallace discussion as well? For sure. Yeah. I think, I think that, uh, Case just kind of got underrated as a playmaker a little bit this mm-hmm. year. Like he was one of okay. those guys where during the year I was really hard on him about his handle and things like that. And then you look back at it and it's like, he did a really good job of getting to the rim. He's a really good pull up two point shooter. He was a pretty good pull up three point shooter. I think he's probably better off the catch than he showed and he's going to get after it defensively. So I think that he's going to bring a lot of things to the table that that work out really well. Um, one name I'll throw out because he's in this range for me, um, but I, I I don't know. He's a guy I go back and forth on a lot. How do we feel about Grady Dick? And just looking at this is a guy that's going to come in and knock down three point shots, and he's going to take a lot of them. And defense, I got another have player to respect it, that and does he's the just same gonna, thing, and he's going to kind of add that element. I personally, I'd probably rather swing on somebody like Max Lewis who can do that, but has more athleticism and upside. 
Um, but I, I don't mind the idea of it being Grady Dick just because I think he is more strictly going to be a shooter worth Lewis. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you want him kind of like biting off more than he can chew at times, which he has more of a tendency to do than Dick. I I'm, I'm actually surprised you didn't say Max Lewis as that other name though, Maxwell, mm-hmm. because doesn't He's that really seem like a Masai Ujiri type pick, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's yeah. kind of where I would have been going with that. But I, I think either of those names, I know Steven, did, you said you have another name in a similar bow. Were you referencing like a Jordan Hawkins type? That's exactly who. So he's my fourth prospect out of three. Uh, I picked Jordan Hawkins for a lot of the same reasons that Max brought up Grady Dick. It, although he's smaller, uh, nuclear scorer, uh, we, we keep hearing best movement shooter in the class. He just gives Toronto a new wrinkle that they just don't have on that roster and again defensively capable from what we've seen from from the film at UConn so uh he was my fourth guy my third guy uh Kobe Bufkin who I think I wrote down Bufkin as well yep I think that if all breaks right and I'll give it over to you to you Nathan but if all breaks right he might be one of those dudes that can address multiple needs um with the half court creation the floor spacing and defensive versatility at the point of attack that I think um toronto could be using too i think there's a chance depending on the matchup that he can come in and be a better defender than even we're initially anticipating for me mm-hmm. the hold up with taking buffkin this high is i think you would probably want a little bit more offensive juice from him out of the yeah. gate i'm not sure he's 100 ready to do that if you're taking him in the lottery right i i know that technically by the numbers he actually graded out well enough or, or certainly better than expected in a lot of those jump shooting types but are, are he is he going to be making some of those shots at the NBA level right when he comes in? I do think there are some things that he could afford to clean up. But as one of these guards who could you know provide rim pressure, right, play that type of point of attack defense that the Raptors desperately need, help force turnovers, and just play both sides of the floor in a smart way, right? Kobe Bufkin is one of these players, especially as we watch the second half of the year, especially later on in Michigan, right? He sort of played to his own pace right? Played to his strengths, didn't necessarily let other guys throw him off gear. So that, that would be a player where if you are looking to take more of an upside swing at 13, right. And and you're not necessarily worried about the, the immediate returns on that pick, because you understand that picks probably not going to save my franchise one way or another. Anyways, Kobe Bufkin would be a, a good name to, to throw in there. So I think we've certainly nailed down a lot of the guys will be available for the Toronto Raptors around that pick 13 range. I do think Jordan Hawkins, as as Steven mentioned as well, he should be a name they could look for for a similar reason, right? Maybe you're not going to hit a home run filling either of those particular needs, but why not just go get a guy who regardless of who's running the point, regardless of who the other players are around him, somebody who can come in, shoot off the move, shoot off the catch and provide spacing for whoever's going to be that initiator to, to break down the defense. So He could certainly be another target there as well. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, which are the three picks for the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
All right, and we are back. So this is the team we've all been waiting to talk about. They yeah. are fascinating draft position this time around because we really thought, at least at one point, that the Oklahoma City Thunder would be in a better position for the, the race to the bottom, right? The the tank for Victor Wembanyama. But player named Shea Gilgis-Alexander, a player named Josh Giddy, and a player named no ceilings front of the program, Jalen Williams did not let that tank happen, right? They fought, they clawed, they made the play in, they almost made the playoffs in the Western conference, but nevertheless, they did unfortunately lose in the play in. So now they currently sit in position for the 12th overall pick. They finished 40 and 42 on the season. As I mentioned at the top, they also own picks 35 and 37. So a lot of interesting things to get into here. They were, 15th in adjusted net rating last year, third in pace, fourth in turnover percentage. That That's an interesting combination to me, guys. That shows that they're not only playing at a fast pace up and down, but they're also not committing a ton of turnovers while playing at that pace. So even though they're playing fast, it doesn't mean they're playing careless or reckless. I think that's an important thing to note for a team as young as the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, 12th in, in mid, mid-range field goal percentage, 17th in three-point percentage, but you, you look at some of the weaknesses, even though they have a player like Shea, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, even though they had somebody who improved the getting to the basket and, and Josh Gideon, someone who showed he can get to the rim and, and the painted area and Jalen Williams, they still finished 30th in the NBA in, in finishing at the rim. That, that to me is a weakness. And then defensively, yes, they defended the rim. Yes, they were able to contest shots around the basket. They weren't too bad on the defensive end, but they were 27th in the NBA and defending against opposing mid-range field goal attempts and 24th in the league and in defending against opposing three-point percentage. So they have some clear needs, in my opinion, right? I would address those as perimeter defense. I do think they need legit depth at the center position. And as everyone can need, they could always use some more efficient wing scoring. But Maxwell, I want to kick it over to you first since I started with Steven last time. What are some of the needs that you think are important for the Thunder and how, how do you see some of this team's outlook overall? Yeah. So I think the outlook is like one of the rosiest in the league. All right. Like, yep. You've got, you've got Shea who's proven that he's just like a real deal, all-star all NBA caliber player with how he gets into the paint, the pressure he puts on defenses, the fact that he's, you know, developed a really solid pull-up shooting arsenal. And then you've got a dynamite athlete next to him and Jalen Williams. You've got Josh Giddy for extra playmaking it just feels like they have so many guys who can make good things happen when they have the ball in their hand. Um, where I do get a little bit concerned with them is in terms of like extra size and rebounding. This yep. front court is so thin. Like we had a big debate in the group chat about like, wow, like we kind of were, sh- we were, you know, underselling Jalen Williams and it was like, okay, well how many, th- we're talking big Jalen Williams now, like how many, uh, how many we'll big Jalen Williams. Williams play those minutes for? And like, that's a real question. I think we still undersold him. He's been great this year. Um, yeah, I mean, like you look at some of the bigger players that they would trot out for minutes once they moved Mike Mascala, and it's like you, I like watching those early season games where you have Mascala, and then afterward, it did feel like there became a real deficiency as far as just having a big dude out there who can can do things well. And 
Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're asking like Jalen Williams, like you mentioned, Jeremiah Mm -hmm. Robinson Earl, Alexi Pokushevsky. Like if you want to play Ken Rich Williams in like a super, super small lineup, like, yeah, without Chet Holmgren, who will hopefully be back next season, but without Chet, I do agree, Maxwell, that if there is one thing on the roster, other than some needs that everyone kind of needs around the league, like, yeah, adding more size, more shooting. Yeah. It would be great. Um, but yeah, I think I think the biggest thing for them is just more front court players because a lot of their front court players feel fine and it doesn't feel like there's like a huge runway ahead of them other yeah. than Chat and Chat is like you can't he's can't a big deal. Chet. We love Chat, so uh, yeah, I, I would just try to get as many more like big players that can can impact the glass as possible. Steven, it's really interesting when you do take a look at this team and we're going to talk about you know draft needs and I laid out a few and you're going to lay out a few as well, but we're taking a look at three different picks that they can Mm -hmm. make yet. We're also looking at three picks for a team that doesn't have a lot of roster spots and necessarily give up. Right. So if we look at the depth chart, we mentioned SGA giddy Jalen Williams, you still have Luke Dort on on an extended contract, whether he's a trade piece for some, somebody else or something else. We don't know yet. You have Chad Holmgren coming back. Jalen Williams proved himself this year. They still like Guzman Jang, Trey Mann, uh, Ken Rich Williams, Alexi Pokushevsky, Robinson Earl, Aaron Wiggins. And then you have a guy in Isaiah Joe who could he be somebody who's out the door? Possibly his contract coming up this season isn't fully guaranteed. Really the only unrestricted free agent that's quote unquote walking out the saloon doors is Dario Saric, who he is yeah. another one of these big bodies who, as we keep talking about, you can absolutely replace. But if you're in a position like the Oklahoma City Thunder are, Stephen, like what do you see happening with this roster and, and some of the draft picks, giving all the names that do have contracts for next year? I'm glad you asked, dude, because in one of my notes, I said that they did a great job of managing contracts and still have cap space on top of having a ton of yes. picks. So you can consolidate picks, even take on a bad contract to move up in this year's draft, maybe next year's draft. Uh, you know, maybe even move a couple of your contracts out that you don't want to have to make tough decisions on like a Wiggins or or Jeremiah Robinson or all players of that nature where, you know, thank you for your service. We're going to send you on as a part of a package and we're going to let somebody else make a tough call because I feel like the way that Oklahoma City runs their organization is they have a lot of emotional connection to their players, right? Like because of the because of the the market size and because of you know, the amount of buy-in that Coach Diagonal has done a phenomenal job of getting from these guys, they've overperformed, right? So typically what happens in these types of situations is you're going to overpay dudes. Like, look at what Portland has done over the years, right? And you don't want to make an emo- a financial decision based off of emotion, right? Like, unfortunately, like, there is a business aspect of it. So they can consolidate some of these contracts. They can consolidate some of these picks and even take on a bad contract or two in order to move up and get a player that they like. Because I don't know how y'all are feeling, but based on where they're picking, I either don't like reaching for a big, or I don't like the range of bigs that are available um, that are going to be ready-made to come in and be like an instant impact front court player on a potentially playoff-viable team next season. Maxwell, I have a question for you before we get into some of the choices that we're going Mm -hmm. to look at for that lottery selection. If you're the Oklahoma City Thunder and you take in, you take all of these factors into account, Mm -hmm. is this one of those drafts where you would possibly look at consolidating a lot of those assets and potentially moving up? Yeah. 
yeah and maybe part of that is just me being way more bullish on this team's future than that i might be but if you if if you feel good about chet's medical situation like it's it's hard not to think like oh man we've got at least two future all-stars and a ton of playmaking on this yep. roster and a lot of size which like that's the thing is like you just get one more big piece in that front court you're you're cooking so i think it would be really tempting to make a consolidation trade and i would not blame them one bit if this pick gets moved as a part of one I didn't prepare you guys for this portion of the podcast, but since I asked the question and since Maxwell agreed with me, and this is something we want to explore a little bit before we move into specific picks. If the Oklahoma city thunder were to consolidate some draft assets, if they, they were like, let's say pick number 12, let's say two or three more of our future firsts and throw in X player. Right. And then maybe we're taking another bad contract back. Maybe we're actually helping somebody out what type of player or what player specifically Maxwell, do you think Mm -hmm. that, Hey, if we're going to try to trade up, who might we actually target a little bit higher up on the board? Ooh, a little higher up on the board. Let's go with, uh, I think Jairus is very tempting here because I think Jairus takes care of a lot of the rebounding stuff. And I think with him and Chet, there's some fun, like flippability depending on the night, a guy can cover a different guy and like they'd complement each other on that side of the ball. Um, four or five I pick think, and rolls yeah yes and that's the other thing too is that the thunder have really shown a propensity to lean toward guys that can pass mm-hmm. um so i think jairus could be interesting from that standpoint as much as i like a man thompson i just don't i don't know that they need like another playmaking guard here um so i lean more jairus i lean more cam whitmore Ooh, uh, that's fascinating i want to hear your reasoning on this yeah, one because cam's going to bring like a, another level of size and i think he's going to rebound it at the pro level given his frame um that i think there's going to be a lot of lineups eventually and we're, we're still waiting on measurements and things like that depending on the wings how the wingspan comes back based on his weight already i think he could be able to play a lot of four yeah. um so i think if you view chet as somebody who's going to be able to play the five in time that's a lineup that can work but if not even if you're playing like him at the three and Chet at the four, suddenly like your size issues and a lot of those things start to go away a little bit. So, um, and then again, that might maybe move. I know people don't like to talk about moving guys, but maybe Jalen Williams or uh, perhaps Josh Giddy become part of a bigger trade package for another star player down the road. So I think that yeah. there, there's a lot of different ways that you can go, but Cam is a guy that interests me a lot. And I think Taylor Hendricks is interesting to everybody just because he is big and he's going to shoot, he's going to give you more weak side rim protection, which is something they could benefit from. So he's another target also. My only concern. So I actually have, I have Cam Whitmore four on my board. Mm-hmm. I did move him since and, and flip him ahead of Jarris, who I have at five. And then I do have Taylor Hendricks at number six. My only concern with Cam Whitmore is that this is a team that has proven they want to play fast there. They are all about making quick decisions in the half court. So I get that they have guys like SGA, Giddy, and, and J-Dub. You can play all three of those guys together, and you can thrive with having another play finisher in one of those two other spots. We would imagine the chat would be the last one. If you put Cam Whitmore in that position, though, and he's actually not in a position to finish the play, he has to make another quick decision, kick the ball out to fit with everyone else. Is he making a lot of those live dribble passes in the way that we want him to within that Oklahoma City Thunder system, given the Cam Whitmore that we saw this past season of Villanova. That would be Throw my out only Villanova concern. film. Throw out the Villanova <laughs> Yeah, to film. me, it's also just one of those things where it's like you have to hope that he's not that. Like, I think part yeah. of taking sure. that high is hoping that, like, 
there is more interior passing. It's stuff that you can unlock pretty quickly. And I kind of buy that. I, I really yeah. think that based on some of the pre-college tape, that stuff is in there. I don't know why it didn't show up this year. If it was just the system and him kind of realizing, hey, I'm just here for a year or what? But yeah. That, I'm telling you, man, when, when he caught that ball on so many possessions, it was like six, five seconds left on the shot mm-hmm. clock. And like, he just has to make something happen with it. And when you're a young guy coming in, you still haven't developed a lot of chemistry with other guys. You, you, you kind of get in this mentality where, okay, I only have this much time left on the clock. I, I better find a way to shoot this puppy now, or I better find a way to get to the rim and create a basket. Right. So that I think more of that scores mentality came out with Cam Whitmore by default, given the situation that he was playing with some of those other guards and wanted to dribble the air out of the ball, et cetera, et cetera. I'm I, like, I, I'm still very high on Cam Whitmore. If he was a player that that I felt was worth it to trade up for, yeah, I, I wouldn't be scared about some of the passing stuff. I would lean into all the other things you talked about, his physical tools, the shooting projection and upside, the the versatility defensively, I think, could cover up a lot of different gaps for them, right? We talked about defending in the mid-range and defending at that three-point line. I think Cam Whitmore could do that defender. for you in spades. He is a he is a great defender. I I yeah. For whatever reason, we have undersold his his defensive ability throughout this draft process. Like all I hear when people talk about Cam Whitmore are either how strong Dunks. he is in terms yeah. of leading into his finishing ability as a strength, or the passing stuff as a weakness. Like that that that's all I hear. So yeah, hundred percent, Stephen. Let's say let's say this draft order pans out about where it is right now in terms of the standings. You're looking up at pick number three. Mm. And you're looking at the San Antonio Spurs as somebody who, yeah, they could be in the market to take somebody with a top three pick, but are we sure that they wouldn't possibly be enticed to be through enough into the deal to trade out of that three spot, pick up more assets to continue building for the future because they aren't really in a position with their roster, even if they get one of those top three players, especially number three, like they probably still aren't in a position to contend in the Western conference and actually get in the playoff race. So if, if the opportunity was there for the Thunder to trade up the three to take someone like a Brandon Miller, could that be a player you think they could possibly target and think that, hey, let's just get another wing scorer slash shooter to pair with all these other guys and let's just try to trot out as much perimeter depth as we possibly can? Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, even if you see Scoots available, like you still take Scoot if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder. But yeah, Brandon Miller like would fit seamlessly on this team. Floor spacing, uh, another guy who's very capable with the ball in his hands, another good defender. Uh, very, He processes the game well. He plays good defense, rebounds, does everything at a decent enough clip that you you could see how like Giddy being close to the basket, J-Dub being close to the basket, SGA getting close to the basket, how much more that opens the floor when you have like a Lou Dort or an Isaiah Joe out there at the same time as a Brandon Miller and Chet Holmgren who can space the floor as well. Like now you're starting to see Oklahoma City Thunder bend the defense a little bit more than what they have been able to in the past few seasons. Yeah, I mean, that just makes all the sense in the world. Why not? 100%. I, I think that Victor and Scoot aside, right, because those are our number one and number two players on, mm-hmm. on our boards, at least here at Draft Deeper. Yeah. That group of players in that three through six range, I think they are in a class above the, the rest of that draft to the point where if you can get inside that top six – you have all of these picks if you're the Thunder. You have the cap space to want to actually draft into that top six, and you're not afraid about adding another potential star who you have to pay a certain level of contract to. You're not worried about that. 
I don't know, man, like the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think this could very well be a year they should make a move. But if they don't, if they stay at pick number 12, Stephen, I'll start with you. Who are, who are some of the first names that you wrote down in terms of, hey, the Thunder should really look at targeting some of these guys with the 12th pick? Well, yeah, so um, we'll go around the horn, but I'll just touch on my first guy. We've already talked about him, Chet Howard, for a lot of the same reasons that we liked him in Toronto. I think it makes sense here. Uh, Max Lewis, I think, is a Thunder guy. And it's funny, you know, I listened to Down to Dunk. Shout out to those guys. They they do a tremendous job of breaking down the Thunder and the NBA at large and even some really good draft talk. Max Lewis, to me, does feel like an Oklahoma City Thunder guy, but the, I, I think the down the dunk guys are a little bit lower on him. And and Maxwell, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, but I just think that they're buying too much into the bad stuff that Pepperdine displayed as a team overall. Yeah. I think that he could like do a lot of really good creative things with the ball in his hand, and the defense probably isn't as bad as what the film would otherwise indicate. Yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I've been been high on him continuously, and like his, his stock drops, it's just crazy to me. He's still... Still a very good knockdown three-point shooter. Still very good at attacking the rim. Still very good at finishing there. I think it just understates, like, I don't know. Like, when when he gets slack for that team, I feel like how, like, the Pat Baldwin believers felt last year, where I'm just like, yeah. watch that team play. Like, that <laughs> yeah. is not his fault. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, Sam Vecini had mentioned earlier in the year how, like, if you just look at how Lorenzo Romar coached teams that performed defensively over the last several years, like, Maybe we don't, maybe we don't all pin that on one guy. Um, yeah. yeah. And like they had no rim protection. Like I think a lot of it was just sort of exacerbated by the system that he was in. And that team really stopped moving the ball. Well, in the later half of the year, it became a lot of your turn, my turn with guys that shouldn't have been having turns. So to me, I, I don't know. I don't really put much of that at all on Max Lewis. And I think that, yeah, when you just consider the developmental context that he's played in, like there's, there's a lot more, he's a lot more potential than your typical kid who's, coming off a sophomore year on a terrible team. Maxwell, who was the first name that you wrote down for who you think the Thunder should look to target at number 12? Yeah, it's tricky because I think like a lot of the guys that I think they should target are going to be off the board. Like I think a lot of guys like the Jairuses and and Taylor Hendrickses are going to be off the board. One name I did want to throw out there, maybe a little little controversial, Uh maybe a little rich for the blood here, but I've seen more and more people talk about him in this tier. What do we think about Derek Lively? I wrote him down. Too. Okay. I wrote his okay. name down, Maxwell. So I'm not even like totally sold on this, but I think it would be interesting. They, they, we talked about how they need front court help. Yeah. Yes. You, you would have a very, very thin front line. You would have a front line of two dudes that, yeah, weigh 180 pounds soaking wet, basically <laughs> with with Chad and, and Lively. But um, we talk about getting help on the glass, and this is a guy who is very good. It, a lot of the things that the Thunder need and like. I, I really buy his ability to move the ball on offense. I think he had some tremendous flashes as a passer. And I think because he is so good on the offensive glass, that like get it, kick it out in three-pointers percentage-wise, best time take them right after an offensive rebound. He's going to bring that to the table for them. Um, he's going to bring them some defensive versatility. He's going to bring them rim protection. This is a team that did not block a lot of shots last year either. He's going to give them a little bit more to turn around the rim. And yeah, like if, if you're playing him and Chet together, that's just a lot of room protection on the floor. That's, and it's that's a guy who a like the fact that Lively blocking. only dunks is going to be minimized when it's like, well, we've got another guy that is a big, that's going to take a ton of threes. Yeah. And they have three guys who can all get him the ball on lobs. Right? Oh like yeah. They, they, yeah. They, they, they want to play a, a downhill romance style well, offense. And let's not forget, like, I feel like, 
Chet has like just become so forgotten. Like Chet's a phenomenal high low passer. Too. Yeah. Yes. Like that's another guy. And floor spacer. Ball he well. wants he wants to be able to shoot and have room to to operate either off the dribble or spacing the floor, spotting up from three point range. So Lively would have more room to roam around the interior. It, he would be a really interesting version, Maxwell, of somebody who we mentioned who they already have in the roster in Jalen Williams, mm-hmm. right? So why why yeah. why do we like not not J Dub the other one? Why why mm-hmm. do we like Jalen Williams? We'll pick Jalen Williams because he's one of these bigs who can operate out of the short roll, who can keep the ball moving. Yes, Derek Lively is in space on the floor right now, quite like him, but he's another one of these guys on offense where the ball doesn't need to stick. He's able to make decisions. Lively, for, for one of the biggest things we talked about all year, Maxwell, we love his decision-making out of short rolls. We love his decision-making when he gets the offensive rebound and needs to kick it out. He keeps that ball moving. To me, he just fits with what they're doing offensively while mm-hmm. providing some major strengths. And if that three-point shot eventually would come around for him, oh boy, are we talking about the type of home run swing that the Thunder could take now that could really pay off long-term in the future. I, I, I listen, I wrote him down. I think if you're going to go big at number 12, to me, he's the best name on the board, even though I don't have him ranked right there on my board. That's the most fun name that, that that's I've my done. biggest thing with, with taking him like at 12, do you have to, you know what I mean? Like, do you, do you need to, well, if you want to take Derek lively and you're sitting at 12, cause then they're not up again until 35. And I can assure you, he's going to be gone by 35 so well that's what i'm saying like could you trade back like could you maybe you could. could you call brooklyn and say hey look you got two you got two first round picks that are like in the upper 20s like could i interest you in in, in 12 and like what else can i get like not not that the thunder are hurting for assets i just think that like while you need lively like a player like him i don't think that you need him at 12 like that was why i didn't include that's him. fair yeah. My only concern about the scenario that you just laid out, Stephen, is we're talking about a guy in Derek Lively who was the number one player in his high yeah. school class. Yes, he had his ups and downs at Duke, but he finished the year strong. He's trending in the right direction. He's probably going to win a lot of people over in front offices and workouts. So, yeah, yeah. you may not feel comfortable 100% taking him at pick 12. You may think, hey, we could maybe recoup a little bit of value here and trade back. But are we also sure that his stock's not going to go the other way and maybe he is picked higher than we initially anticipate? Like to me, he seems like one of these guys who when we get in like the the, the pre-draft workout season, right? Coming yeah. up here in a few weeks, he seems like one of these guys who's absolutely his his stock could very well boom. Maybe not boom into like the top 10, but certainly if yeah. he's around like that the the twenties range now, like the 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 mid twenties, I think his stock could boom up into to the late lottery. Yeah, I think that's fair. And there's also not a lot of competition at that position. I'm also just like taking into consideration like what other teams would need to target a big man yep. in this draft. Like maybe Miami could jump him uh, to try to take him. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting thought experiment for sure about taking him higher than where you have him ranked based on the depth of his position in this class. I think if Isaiah Joe walks out the door, I think Jordan Hawkins could absolutely be in play here at pick yeah. 12. I think this is absolutely a range where we could see him drafted. And he, we, listen, we saw how well the Isaiah Joe experiment worked out. I'd, my best comparison for Jordan Hawkins for a while has been like a bigger version of Isaiah Joe, 
right? Somebody who could absolutely thrive playing off others. Talk about all the passing that this team already has that we keep talking about, the plus-size playmaking. Boy, would they love to be able to kick it out to somebody like Jordan uh, Jordan Hawkins in the corners or, or on the wings to get that easy three-point shot. And then when you have somebody who, again, with some of the space that's being created by default, either by the floor space that already exists in terms of shooters on the rosters or the fact of how much gravity these passers are commanding and the types of windows that they're able to open, how Jordan Hawkins could operate off these some of these, yeah. some of these other play types, how he can cut to the basket, turn a corner. I think somebody like Jordan Hawkins could thrive here. Another interesting name domestically before I go overseas for one eventually as I kick it back to you guys, but this may be a little rich for you guys. I'm not sure it's as rich as I once thought it was. What about someone like CD Sissoko here for, for the Oklahoma city thunder? Doesn't he kind of fit a lot of what they want to do now? I Maxwell, I I know the point that you're going to make. It's a great one that you and I have talked about off air about how, CD, sometimes he can be really brilliant and other times he can be a little bit out of control. Yeah. But when you look at what CD Sissoko's strengths are, Maxwell, don't they kind of fit what the Thunder want, right? This 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 plus-size wing, multi-positional defender. He can make quick decisions, move the ball off a live dribble like that. I don't know. Grab he just seems go. like one of yeah. those really interesting swings that they could make but, where we're not expecting and he they, they go with them. so my thing would be if you want to go that direction you want somebody who has a little bit of like pro pedigree that is a little bit grab and go and has those things why not just take the bigger version of that and take leonard miller like <laughs> you know what i mean like nah, if, we're, if we're gonna go if we're gonna go a little rich for the blood like why not just take the guy who gives me size at the same time you like, could because City can shoot the ball, maybe. I don't know. So maybe Leonard Miller possible. was 32% on like on catch and shoot threes this year, which like again, like is not a terrible starting point. The form got a yeah. little bit better. I still worry about it. I don't love it. I'm not gonna tell no. you you can shoot it, but I think at the same time, like oh there's so many guys that every draft class are like, Oh, if this guy just shoots it, if he just shoots it, and like Leonard Miller doing that in a pro league at 18 years, 18, 19 years old is like He's not in that bad of a spot. Like I don't think he's. And he's got Chip England in OKC, in OKC. So if he's going to learn to shoot, too. like yeah. I, I think knowing if you're trusting your developmental staff, I'd rather just take the guy that's bigger. So I have I have Leonard Miller at number twenty on my board. Can can I make a bold prediction with you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, may not be this may not be where I have him ranked by the time we get close to the draft. I think he's going to come into this pre-draft process. I think he's going to play again in the combine. And I think this time he's going to kick ass and crush it in those scrimmage games. And I if think he played combine. I'd be stunned. Like, I, I think I feel what I get this feeling like he's going to do it again. I feel he, like he's, if he he's does, gonna he's going to score like something. 25 points. So yeah, I, I think he's going to be freaking awesome. And I think his stock jumps him into the lottery. Like I, I think we need to start looking at Leonard Miller as one of these guys where we're not shocked anymore about if he goes in the lottery. Cause I, I do think it's a legitimate possibility as we stand here today, because of a lot of the reasons that Maxwell outlined. So like Steven, maybe, maybe if you and I don't get him up there on our boards, I do think that we need to start acknowledging that that's like a legitimate possibility that can happen here. In, in a few months. I mean, anything's possible, you know, <laughs> when it comes to the NBA draft, I've just, I have a hard time getting there. I just me personally, like the way, yeah, with, with his evaluation, I'm just not at that point. Were, were there any other names, Stephen, that you wanted to throw out here, pick number 12 that interested you? 
Yeah, just Bilal Koulibaly, but we don't have to talk about him. I know you guys <laughs> Ooh, aren't big fans. So, yeah. Oh, come on. You we, you know he was the first name that I wrote down. Like you, yeah, you when, knew that. When I heard I, you I say international. Him. Yeah, when you said international, I knew that's the route that you were going to go. Um, I just think that he fits what OKC wants. So, you know, just a long wing player who can make uh, incredible plays on both sides of the ball. Um, incredible athlete. Needs to needs to show consistency i would say um from from deep and again chipping lincoln kind of help anybody get there it feels like so i just feel like he might be because of his age too like he walks in and i think that he's probably like the average age of all oklahoma city thunder players Mm -hmm. at 18 um he just kind of fits everything that that the thunder are looking for on these kind of multifaceted perimeter players even though he doesn't really make up for the front court depth that I think a lot of people would want the thunder to go Maxwell he's going to be he's going to be 18 on draft night yeah coming in he he certainly has some warts in his game in terms of the efficiency shooting Mm -hmm. from deep shooting Mm -hmm. off pull-up jumpers but when you take a look at the physical tools the athleticism the Mm -hmm. footwork the fact that this team doesn't have outside of Luke Dort they don't have another perimeter defender on the roster who could come in like Bilal Koulibaly if he lives up to his potential. And most importantly, Steven mentioned the shooting coach, but yeah. you'd also be in a position where the, the Thunder have a great developmental program down in the G League with the Blue, yeah. right? They, they stuck Usman Jang down there for this entire year after they took him in the lottery, mm-hmm. and I think they're going to reap those rewards either this coming season or the year after that. I still think he's going to be a dynamite big wing for them. So why not do some of the same thing? With, with with Bilal Koulibaly. To me, like, when we look at wings in this range, I do not see a number of wings. Or I'll, I'll run this point by Steven. I just don't see a number of wings who can take space like Bilal Koulibaly can, right? When we watch, it's not just the athleticism. It's about his movement patterns. It's about his footwork. When he gets to these spots, I'm fully confident that eventually he's going to put the work in to ultimately knock down those mid-range shots, or he's getting all the way to the basket. And at every single level, he's finished at a high level around the basket, right? He has the layup package you want. He can he can jam it down. He can finish above the rim. To me, I get all the concerns that people have. And he is, he is very far from a finished product. When I say yeah. you should consider taking him in the lottery, I'm not saying that he's going to come in and be like Jalen Williams and drop like 16 points a game and be like one of these guys who's up for Rick of the year. What I'm saying is when you have the ability to draft somebody like him, who in two to three years time could be one of the best up and coming wings we have across the entire NBA. If you have the developmental program in place where you could take advantage of a situation like that, just, just take that guy. Stop thinking about the number pick that you're taking him with. And just go and get your guy. That that to me is the argument I'm trying to make with with potentially taking him this high. Yeah, I it's a team by team basis with me, man. Like that's the it reason is. why I have him on as my third option because I really think that the Thunder are content with the pecking order that they have. You introduce a guy like Koulibaly, who let's say that he does in two three years come around, then it's like, well, guys, have you seen the way Koulibaly's look compared to Josh Giddy or to Jalen Williams? And that's a lot of guys, that, yeah. That's that's a lot of mouths to feed, right? And so there are guys that can address like perimeter concerns. There are guys that can address front court concerns that aren't going to disrupt 
the pecking order that is already kind of formulating itself out in Oklahoma City. We still have to figure out where Chet Holmgren fits in this mix too. So I don't think Koulibaly is going to disrupt the pecking order though. So I don't. So so here's my thing though. At the same time, and I like Koulibaly a lot. Yeah. Um, he's really raw, and I think he's going to take some time just because yeah. I think yes. he's very good downhill. But I think like his in between game is legitimately concerning. Like he does not have a pull up jump shot right now. So if I'm Oklahoma City, like, do I want to take on another project? Yeah. Like, you, like that's the thing is, it's just like at that exact about, like, same like, kind of position type. Yeah, like yeah. they're really good at developing talent, but like I don't want to overburden my staff at the same time that I'm like trying to get Usman to come along, trying to get Poku to come along still. Like Chet's going to have his first year. I want to make sure that he has everything that he needs. Like at a certain point, like the number of projects that you have can become overwhelming. It's just like, it's, it's like life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't have too many, too many different things Our, going on. Like, I, I just don't know that cool is, I think he's a really good player, but I think there's a lot of really good players that can kind of continue to build on what they have. And I think, I think last year you could have argued that maybe they should have swung twice where they picked, but just by taking a guy like Jalen Williams, where it's just like, he's going to come in and be good. I think that, I think there's a lot of benefit to that. I think there are guys on the board that can do that, that don't require yeah. the maintenance that a cool valley does. That's a fascinating point. I think where, where I would have gone to, to counter Steven's point was that I think cool Bali has very much so proven this entire year, whether it's been in the junior league or, or up in the pro a league with Victor on that met 92 team that he's very comfortable playing off the ball and very comfortable with, being within the offense and not necessarily calling for the ball too many times or looking for more opportunities, just taking quite literally what's given to him. And I think having someone like that with his athleticism, with his physical tools would, to me, would just be a boon for somebody like OKC who has enough mouths to fill. They have enough guys who can handle the ball and create for others. That At some point, you do need to continue to fill out the roster with more guys who can do the play finishing, right? It's not just about having every single guy's creator. Eventually you do need high level play finishers. And I think Koulibaly is going to be one of those guys, but to Maxwell's point, if you do need to let him marinate for a year or two, when you already have enough of those types of players on your roster, do you look to take another one? I think that is actually a very valid point. And maybe that's why you take someone. If you are looking to, you know, take on more of an upside guy who can also bring you more immediate short-term values played to per league. Maybe that is a reason why you do, do look the way of like a Leonard Miller or, or a CD Sissoko or, or a Jordan Hawkins or, or, or somebody along those lines. So, all right, we're going to take one more quick break. When we come back, we are going to discuss options for the Thunder at picks 35 and 37. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we are back. Fascinating discussion that we just had for the Oklahoma City Thunder at pick number 12, but they do have two second-round selections as well. So if they keep picks 35 and 37 and they do not consolidate the roster down, who are some of the targets that we could look to possibly introduce to the Thunder at pick 35? Maxwell, do you have any names on the board you're itching to talk about in terms of some of these sicko deep-dive 
deep cut prospects that you love to to discuss and evaluate? Who might you throw out at pick thirty five? Yeah. Um. So one guy who I feel like I think could potentially be interesting for them if he's still on the board here is a Dembona. Okay. Mm. Because he's like, and I wish I could give you like a sicker name at this stage. <laughs> but again, like we just talked about, like this is a team that needs rebounding size. And I think more athleticism doesn't hurt him either. And I think just getting another hard rim runner who's going to guard a couple positions, rebound, and then finish plays when you've got a million lob lob throwing guys to set him up would do really well. And this is kind of ahead of where he's been slotted in a lot of mainstream drafts. And yeah, I, I think he's just a guy who's going to be kind of plug and play and could fit what they do nicely. And given how much other talent and offensive playmaking they have, if the post game doesn't come along, if he be, remains a very rudimentary passer, like all that stuff is fine. Like all of that would be mm-hmm. fine. Like the downside, he's just okay. Version of a dent bonus still fits them really nicely. They, they need a guy who's going to run the floor as hard as they, as, as hard and as fast as they want to play the game. Right. And, and yeah. there is no one who has a hotter motor in this entire draft than a Dembona. I, I really like that name that you threw out, Maxwell. Steven, who who would be one of your top targets for the Thunder at 35? I think that if they're going to go safe at 12, like you can invest in a guy who might end up yielding like crazy returns, and uh, Bobby Clintman kind of fits that bill for me. <laughs> I think that um, like if that. you take him at 35, you're drafting like a 6'10 front court player who can shoot 40% from deep, who can move the ball incredibly well, who is a pretty decent rim protector and is still kind of growing into his uh, size and weight and, and still learning the American game, like all within about two year time frame. So um, as we've discussed, like you don't want to overburden a team with developmentally, but I don't think that giving them a second round prospect to go play in the blue for a couple of seasons and could kind of fit with this team uh, multi-positionally long-term uh, he's my number one guy. Uh, at 35 considered you know kind of assuming that they go a safer route at 12 so it's my podcast that means on occasion i get to break the rules a little bit and if i were in this situation with with picks 35 and 37 if you don't trade up from the lottery spot at pick 12 but you still have a few assets laying around to where you could not only trade up and consolidate to get a little bit higher in this draft well, also taking a stash guy who you don't have to throw a roster spot to immediately in the short term while you're filling out your roster, either either catering to the guys you already have or making moves to bring in more guys who can help you potentially make the playoffs next season. This team needs James Najee, man. They yeah, they 100 percent need James Najee out of Barcelona. Guys, I I waited. I waited until a few days ago to really start diving into some film on him because there were so many other domestic prospects that I wanted to get into. I have neglected the James Najee tape out of Barcelona for a while. I want to apologize to James Najee because you are freaking awesome on tape, man. Listen, the only thing, the only real knock I have on him outside of the fact that we we just don't know if he's ever going to be a shooter or not. Like we literally just don't know the answer to that question. But regardless of all of that, I would like the motor to run hotter consistently than it has. Like I would want the motor to run hotter closer to like an Adembona, for example. But regardless of that fact, if he is bringing the best of himself every single night at seven foot, 250 pounds, an absolute incredible Hulk of a man. He's a dude. He's insane. He is, he is ridiculous physically. 
He will clean up the boards. He will block everything that's coming his way on the interior. And how he moves in space, the type of ground he can cover on the defensive end, boy, can he rotate, uh, cover, and, and fill a lot of gaps that we talked about with this team's perimeter defense, right? Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he really played a lot better on the defensive end this year, but he's never been the stand. I'm going to lock down. I'm going to prevent you from penetrating, getting into the lane. Josh Giddy is not one of these guys. I think Jalen Williams is going to keep getting better defensively, but he's also not someone who I want to look to him and say, here, go guard the other team's best perimeter option every single night for 40 minutes. So if you have that type of structure where – you have these guys in the lineup. You're not looking to take any of them out because of what they provide you offensively. That means you need more guys like a Chet Holmgren down low, but eventually you're also going to need some legitimate size to be introduced into the picture. Like we talked about James Najee to me would be the best option available in anywhere from, he may even go higher than this, but I'd say like a pick 20 to pick 35 range. To me, there's no better big man that you could target than like a James Najee. Steven, I know that you've come away lately on, on his deep dive. Certainly, you're more enthralled with, with his outlook and, and what he could be in this draft. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give it to Maxwell right after this, but I, I have him right behind Derek Lively. I don't think that it's crazy to think that he can end up being better or being ranked higher. I mm-hmm. think that we're not alone, right? So I'm not saying that like we're like the uh, – the catalyst behind the entire draft world or community. But the fact that like us collectively, like not all of us have invested a lot of James Najee film watch until roughly the same point, like later portion of the draft. I'm willing to bet that there's some NBA front offices and some, some other scouts and agents that have kind of done the same thing, like later on in the season film watching. So this is a guy that a lot of people could expect to hear about more as the draft season kind of progresses the cycle progresses and we start seeing him in the combine against some like domestic products and saying like oh wow this is freaking scary like how high can this guy rise uh i'm glad that you mentioned him i didn't have him at 35 because i expected his name to be gone but i definitely yep. understand that like he is like a tailor-made big man to invest on the oklahoma city team that is kind of secretly like replaced the spurs as like the international team uh in their western conference now but yeah james Najee on okc would be and, so much fun to watch and, and that's why i said like like maxwell i know you you'll have some thoughts as well but that's that's mm-hmm. why i introduced like yeah he may not be around at pick 35 but yeah. if there was a spot in this draft where you could trade up and consolidate and, and you're not doing it to move up in the lottery why not get into the back end of the first round somewhere where you have to and, and pick a guy like james Najee, where again you don't have to roster him up you can let him overseas develop for a year, and then you could bring him over, and he's he's checking a lot of boxes for you potentially right out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, I like that fit a lot. I I, I again also have not done my my Nashi deep dive, but he feels just really solid. He's really solid. He's got the pro body. He's going to do the basic stuff you want a center to do. So again, similar to Bone, it's one of those cases where even if everything doesn't pan out, he still brings a lot to the table. Um, I think another guy that like I don't think he's going to be there but he might is like is like trace jackson davis another guy who kind of fits Ooh. what they like as far as like a passing big man yeah uh, espn's got him around like that 33 spot right now so mm. it's not out of the realm of possibility but he's a guy like there they have cd at 35 i, I love cd <sighs> in that range for them too if he's still there um yeah those are, are guys that yeah like there's a lot of good kind of size and athleticism on that part of the board 
And then just Nathan, I got two names, and I'll give it right back to you. I got Rayon Repair somehow if he's available. I do have him actually written down. I I I I think he's gonna fall a little bit. I just the more I could see it. I could see it. The more I go back and watch the tape, the less Max and I've been talking about this. The less comfortable I am about just can he score the ball in any one way or shape or form at the NBA level, right? You, you, you think with his physical tools, he can at least come in and be a slasher when he gets the ball going downhill off the move, finish around finish around the basket, his layup package. I, I don't like it. One of, one of my pet peeves is these guys who they, they don't have touch, right? They've proven yeah. that they don't have touch yet. They look to kiss a lot of their layups high off the glass and they don't look to go into someone's body and at least come away with a foul drawn, get to the line, maybe salvage like one point, if you can't make both the free throws, make at least one of them, salvage a point off that possession. Because otherwise, if you can't even make your layups in an effective way at the NBA level, then you're quite literally giving the other team possessions back, right? So if, if I were a coach in that position and I'm looking to play this guy and I want to get on the, I want to get him on the floor because of the defensive value he could potentially provide, yep. but yet he can't give you anything offensively, I'd be like tearing my hair out. So he... He concerns me. Now, at pick 35, though, Stephen, like you have him in this range, anywhere from like 30 to, to 35, now we're really talking. I'm much more in, in, enthused to take that sort of a swing on him. But where I was once projecting him, Stephen, to be like a 14 to 20 range, yeah. I no longer feel comfortable about taking him up that high in the draft. Yeah, I kind of have I have him still in like the mid to late 20s. That's kind of okay. where I've been living, like anywhere from like 22 to 28 somewhere in that neighborhood. And I think we're all watching. The I can same get guy, more on board with that. Right. As well. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're all watching the same guy. He's got some good on ball equity. I think that that's kind of like his claim to fame as an offensive player is like, he can do some cool, like kind of secondary tertiary creation kind of hope that a team like Oklahoma city could turn him into a, th- uh, a three point shooter. And with his frame and like his uh, nose for the rim and nose for the ball, like he could be an effective cutter on a team like Oklahoma city as well. But the, the big selling point is like Oklahoma City is fine defensively, but if you get a guy like Repair who is just an absolute greyhound on the defensive side of the ball and could cover a multitude of positions, which you'll need in that Western Conference outside of just Lou Dort, who is strong, but he is a little undersized. You bring in a guy like at Repair's size and frame who can pick up tough defensive assignments, like that only helps further Oklahoma City's cause to be one of the more like recognized teams in the Western conference. What's crazy though, Maxwell is like Steven brings up Luke Dort, but like Luke Dort to me is much more further along and much more advanced offensively than like, her, oh, like for sure. brain repairs, right? Yeah. Like for, for all we want to talk about Luke Dort's offensive deficiencies, like that man can get hot at any time from three point range. And all of a sudden we look up, he hit like four threes in a row. We're going, where the hell did that come from? Like, do we, do we think repair is going to do that at any point over the next few years? Like, Probably not. So I like never if, said that. To be yeah, fair, no, I said no, that I, I besides yeah, 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 yeah. being the the lone defender. Mm-hmm. I know you did. I'm, I'm more so yeah. bringing up after the fact. Stephen is like, is he a little bit too redundant to what they already have on the roster, while not necessarily giving them an improvement in in, in certain ways? That's so, the question I'm asking. Another gotcha. guy who's like in that range, but projected to go higher, but could be there. Colby Jones. Would you rather have Colby Jones, or do you rather have Repair? I think because I lean to repair just because of the body and the frame. I would take Colby. Like if he fills that sucker out. I, I, I think like Josh I, Hart I just got, I think Josh Kobe. Hart just got Colby Jones drafted higher in the playoffs. <laughs> now, so. Did he, did he Steven? I, so I think so. 
Do we need to have a small Kobe Jones conversation? Because I've actually drifted towards where Maxwell may have him on his board. I've actually moved Kobe Jones down to 28. So I, like Maxwell, I'm also a little bit concerned about where the shooting ends up. And I know that I've given credit to Colby Jones about in some of these college games, he's been able to turn the corner and get to the basket a little bit better than I expected. When you make like a Josh Hart type of comparison, Josh Hart to me is a way better athlete than somebody like Colby Jones. So that kind of, that kind of concerns me as well. So it's not that I don't think he's a first round talent. I have him as a first round grade, but I don't feel as comfortable with him as I once did. And there are just other bets. I think I would rather make on my big board. So if you're still rocking with Colby Jones, that that's perfectly fine. I understand that where Maxwell's coming from in terms of introducing him in a little bit later, but with some of these other prospects. Yeah. I got Noah Clowney as the last prospect at 35. I also wrote him down. Talk to me about Noah Clowney. Yeah. Just a lot of the same reasons that Maxwell pointed out for Derek Lively with the short role playmaking, the the ability to move the ball. Um, kind of like him as a theoretical uh, spot up big man to kind of help things out for Chet. And uh, just a, he's competent on both sides of the ball. And at his size and his age, um, him getting bigger and stronger, the way that he processes the game already, I think kind of fits Oklahoma City's uh, kind of mantra to a T. Maxwell, does Noah Clowney go in the first round? in this draft are we pretty confident it seems about like that he, it seems to me like he will like i'm still not fully comfortable there because like i i just worry about him being like a four or five tweener on defense like okay. i feel like where taylor Hendricks made those strides as far as like guarding down consistently i didn't see that out of noah Clowney. i'm not as crazy about him as a decision maker so like i think it's reasonable for him to be here but like espm's got him like 19 like it seems like the intel on him is very yeah. good like it seems like people like him a lot so i think that based on that it does seem to me like teams are going to be willing to to feel that comfortable to plop down that four-year guarantee for him but like i'm kind of in the boat close to like where steven is like i'd feel really good about i think he should here. yeah i think he should be in this range as well so we're all kind of we're all kind of in agreement on that one um, the last name that I had written down, and he can also be, you know, used to spring us into this conversation at 37 as well. I'm not 100% convinced. And even though I may feel like I need to find a way to get him in this range on my board and have him in the first round, I'm not totally convinced that Jordan Walsh is going to be like a lockdown first rounder type prospect either. Like, I think there is a chance he gets no. available in the second round. And if he's available in this early portion of the second round, doesn't he kind of fit? A little bit of what the the thunder would talk about like he's him and repair to me are are very comparable prospects and there's a world in which i could talk myself into taking someone like jordan walsh over someone like repair um i i actually think yeah. that if i'm trying to project offense i think jordan walsh might actually have to me a better offensive outlook than someone like repair and that's that's just kind of where i'm at so that's why i wrote him down along with repair in this exercise as well yeah, I think that that's totally fair. Um, for a lot of the same reasons, I took a. I'll give you just two names because they kind of fit the same kind of player archetype. Yep, because uh, we're in the thirty-seven Phillip. now. Yep. Yep. So Julian Phillips and Kevin McCuller. I think that Julian Phillips like, looks like really, Kevin McCuller. I, I like Julian Phillips a lot. I feel like people kind of soured on him as the process uh, waned on. Uh, this is more of like a pre-draft thing, and right now that he is, uh, he's simply testing the waters. Like he's. If I think that if he's not given a solid first round grade, then he probably goes back. I don't think that he's testing the waters to get taken in the second round. But what Julian has shown with the ball in his hands, like the playmaking, is pretty solid for a player that plays defense the way that he does. 
Uh, he competes on the glass. He moves well without the ball, um, ha- has a nose for the rim. He reminds me a lot of freshman year Tari Eason at Cincinnati in a lot of ways. So because of that, I like Julian Phillips a lot. And then Kevin McCuller, uh, we saw him try to improve as a shooter, still not right where you want it to be, but he is a very versatile defensive player, kind of along the same line of like a Rayon Rupert, um, Julian Phillips, or Jordan Walsh that you mentioned, Nathan. Maxwell, give me one more name in this range or you would introduce it, you know, either 35 or 37 and say, yeah, the Thunder should definitely be in on trying to bring this guy in. Man. Um, I feel, yeah, there's guys I like that. I, I don't really feel like they can, can, can I throw a surprise do? one out there that um, hasn't been in this conversation yeah, at, go for at it. any point for us recently? Yeah. How about Omax Prosper? I thought about Omax for a second because I think that he's going to bring a lot of that like length and size and defense and fill some of those gaps. Playmaking has got to come along a little bit for where he is. Um, Yeah, I'm just not like totally, totally sold, but I don't I don't dislike it one bit either. If if you don't take someone like a repair or like a Walsh. And right, let's say you fill the other gaps of size shooting. And then at this point with a third pick, you want to take more of a more more of a swing on a developmental guy. Why not look at someone like Prosper who listen, the the number, the numbers I think are better than we're giving him credit for 12 and a half points per game, almost five rebounds, 95th percentile in terms of total offense, 88th percentile in terms of total defense played on a Marquette team where they played extraordinary the entire year up until their, their little sputter in the NCAA tournament. But for the most part, especially in Big East play, they were a power and they were getting everyone's best shot. And yeah. there were nights where Prosper's offensive production kind of waned in and out, but defensively on the glass, serving as someone who I felt like made the right decisions with the ball when he got it in terms of being a play finisher, can guard multiple positions, can rebound on both ends. He's just one of these toolsy guys at six foot eight with good length. I don't know, man, like, like Steven, like he's, he's somebody I look at and I say he might actually be one of these thunder type guys that, that literally no one's talking about. And I could totally see him going off the board of the thunder to 37. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, I guess it would make sense, but it's the, the floor spacing. It's funny that like our heads collectively are all around like the same player archetype. They want big, long (laughs) wing dudes that can't shoot. Right, but play really good <laughs> defense. Like it, it's just funny how many. Oh, listen, Pro- I know it up. wasn't high volume, but Prosper shot thirty-four percent from three this past year. Like I, I still mm-hmm. feel yeah, like the jump like, shot's going to come around for him eventually. It could, but like, am I in a hurry to to be like, man, if that three-point shot gets a thirty-seven? No, you're you're not running up to the podium man. with your card in yeah. hand saying, "Give us Prosper." But I can but see like, it. Yeah, I can see the vision. I like Prosper too, right? Like I loved a lot of those Marquette guys coming into the year and Omax was a guy that really uh, impressed me a lot. I got two names left. I'll just give you one. And it's unfortunate. Like I don't see Oklahoma city drafting him because he's going to double their at like their um, team age, but Jaime Hawkins jr. From UCLA would probably be a good fit for the team as well. I like it. I also had Jalen Clark and Andre Jackson written down for a lot of the same reasons that we talked about with some of these other guys, but you know, with the game wrecker, Andre Jackson, you get another defensive playmaker. You get a guy who can pass it on the move, who can be a little bit of a playmaker, cannot shoot a lick. Same, nope. same stories we've been saying with some of these other prospects, but just an interesting guy to come in and change the pace nonetheless. Same thing with Jalen Clark, right? I, I think his offense has been a tad bit undersold. 
even though he's not a knockdown shooter, he did improve as a shooter this year. He actually did finish around the basket at a high level out of multiple play types. He could keep the ball moving a little bit. And then he's not, I wouldn't call him a stalwart defender in terms of locking somebody down one-on-one, but the way that he quarterbacks a defense and plays in space is like that deep safety that Stevens called him on, on multiple podcasts like that, that type of player. I think the thunder could, could make it there could take advantage of in terms of bringing in. Yeah, Albert calls him Ed Reed for a good reason. Albert wrote an incredible piece on him and he and Corey have interviewed him multiple times. I love him just as a dude, like anywhere that he goes, I'm rooting for him, but he does kind of feel like one of these like OKC culture dudes. If anyone has not watched either of those Jalen Clark interviews on the No Sillings YouTube channel, do yourself They're a favor and watch them. The, the, you will be in stitches the, the entire time laughing. How much like fun Net- Corey and Albert Netflix had. Netflix comedy show. <laughs> it, it, it's certainly something that's worth checking out. So go do that on the U- No Ceilings YouTube channel. But that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Maxwell, any any final thoughts about this week's exercise before we sign off? No, I think both teams are in a really interesting place. And I think they both have a bright future in different ways. Like if I'm OKC, um, I feel really good about what I've got. And I feel really good about where I'm going. And if I'm Toronto, I, I know that if I need to retool, I'm in a good position to do it. I've got a lot of guys that can help good teams right now. And Scotty Barnes yep. is still really good. I think yeah. I think a lot of people got too down on Scotty Barnes because I think people got too high on him earlier. But the bottom line is I he's still agree. a guy that went top five for a reason. He's going to be a really good player for a long time who does a lot of important stuff on the basketball court. Um, yeah, I think these teams that and their fan bases should should be excited and, and interested to see where, uh, where things go. Steven, any final thoughts this week? Uh, no, man. I just basketball has been awesome. Um, I'm, I'm loving where we're at in the draft. And I, like I said, here in a couple hours, we'll get a good finalized picture of who we can expect to be making combine appearances and things of that nature. So I'm just excited to see where those names go. The work of the NBA draft continues as do we over at no ceilings. We keep pressing on. So please Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, right? Go check out No Ceilings NBA on YouTube. And please make no sure you're subscribed. On YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed and locked into no ceilingsnba.com, our written substack where you get NBA draft content delivered to your inbox Monday through Friday and Sundays when Steven's right the weekend warrior. So potentially six days out of the week, it's free 99. No reason why you shouldn't be subscribed, but that's a lot of our content plugs. As for us personally, you can follow me on Twitter at draft deeper. You can follow Steven on Twitter at Steven G hoops. You can follow Maxwell on Twitter at bound boards until we meet again on this podcast feed. Thank you all so much for tuning into this edition of the podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.